0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Some Fantasy NBA Today Slow Jams taking you into the weekend here. It's Friday, August the 27th. Conclusion of our 15th week of the Fantasy NBA offseason, and I think I finally have my counting going properly. Next week we'll get to our 80th offseason show by the end of the week. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, every week throughout this offseason and however many years you've been following along with us. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, here on Fantasy NBA Today, which I already mentioned. You can follow me on Twitter at DanBespris. I know. Complicated. T D A N B E S B R I S. This show is a hoop ball presentation. Hoop-ball.com, the website at hoopball Fantasy. And make sure to pick up a fantasy pass or wager pass or Hoop Ball 360 while you can. The, fa- the uh, draft guide for this coming season actually dropped earlier this week. It's got player profiles. From every team in the NBA, it's unbelievable. There are also a host of other items inside of it. We talked to Josh Millman uh, last week to get the... We had a little fun, obviously, but talking about the high mileage report. If you have any questions about this stuff, please do feel free to hit me up on social media. More than happy to assist. We want to get as many of you guys to fantasy trophies as humanly possible. And preferably, whatever you pay... For fantasy advice, whether it's zero on this podcast or if you, say, get a fantasy pass for this coming season and let that thing ride. Let's make sure your winnings are far exceeding whatever you've got to sink in to get that edge. I think we can do it. I think we've done it pretty much every year we've had this thing going. And right now, with the monthly membership, it's easier than ever. Hoop-ball.com, the website, click on the premium tab and let's get rolling from there. want to remind everybody once again, if you're thinking about starting up a podcast or if you have a podcast but are feeling lonesome with your show, hit me up on Twitter or email teamhoopball at hoop We'd love to work with you if you're thinking about starting one or, again, if you have something brewing already and you'd like to bring it under the hoopball umbrella. That could be sports. It could be something else. We could have some fun. Those of you that have been listening for the uh, entire offseason, you kind of know where we're at at this point. On yesterday's show, we finished up with player number 20, although we did get sidetracked, as tends to happen with these things. Yesterday, we got sidetracked by the exact... I don't say usefulness, but the sort of the ramifications of what public perception does to a draft order. And then the previous day, we did, I think, seven total players, but we also talked about how to combine multiple lists and then comparing that to the use of the the Bespris Bucket method. I can't call it Besper's bucket method, because that has the same initials as basketball Monster, as BBM. Sorry, they've already got that. Uh so we may just have to call it the Bespress Buckets. In in any event. Over the course of the last three shows, we've gone through 20 players, which I know doesn't sound like very much, and we'll see how far we get today. But every time we start to dive into this stuff, I feel like I need to take a journey along a side path, some tangential experience here on the podcast, to enunciate why I do things the way I do, how we got to this point, as opposed to just, here are the answers to the test. This is very much a show-your-work Type of deal. And as I'll remind you guys once again, and we'll, I'll probably be doing this on every show for the next five or six episodes, all of this stuff is still subject to change. We're kind of building our first pass at a bucket list. That's not right either. Can't call it a bucket list. We're, bu- we're building our first pass at a series of buckets. Damn all these things for being taken already together in real time. What I did over the weekend, last weekend, was put together more or less my list. That, too, is subject to some measure of change, but it's pretty darn close. And what we're doing now on the podcast together, I thought it'd be more fun to do it this way, as opposed to me just going through and doing all my buckets and then trying to go back and explain how I got to that point, which each of of the players is to have you guys do it with me. There are positives and negatives to this approach. The the main negative is that there's going to be a little bit of hemming and hawing on the podcast that I'm going to leave in for you guys. I could very easily edit it out, tis the magic of audio editing, but I'd rather you hear it because there is, especially as you get to kind of like the end of one bucket and the beginning of another, there's very much this, okay, well, where do I put this sometimes artificial cutoff? And you guys can hear me work through that. As you've already experienced the last two shows, bucket four, when we decided to actually take Joel Embiid and move him down a bucket, uh, into bucket five, bucket six, where we pulled a couple players from bucket five down the list, because of the assumption, basically, that those guys are gonna have a public perception that draws their value well, draws their ADP down and their value up. Chris Paul, Rudy Gobert me probably the two largest examples that we've hit on so far like I have Rudy Gobert at number 17 on my board and there's almost no way he gets drafted that early he did one time remember there was one year where Rudy got drafted early and I think he got injured and even though he was actually relatively decent he was like 30 something on a per game basis he didn't get close to his ADP he's been able to to dominate the last couple of seasons because of durability and solid if unspectacular per game numbers But the reason we moved him down to bucket six, same thing with Chris Paul, is that there's no reason to take these guys at 16, 17, whatever spot you may have them on your board, if they're still going to be there 12 picks later. Just bump them down. It's an artificial bump, but that's what the buckets are for. The buckets are an attempt, they are the best possible attempt, in my estimation, to combine the likelihood... The strategy, the game theory of draft day with your own actual rankings. So we left off with uh, LeBron James was the last player I think we talked about, although maybe I moved some guys around in actual order after I finished the show just to reflect reality. And that was, I think, safely the end of Bucket 6. Bucket seven things really do start to get complicated, and you're you're going to hear me on this podcast today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, however long this thing takes, doing a lot of jostling of buckets as we work our way through the the names on the list. And like for me, the next name on my actual rank board, which is now number twenty one, is Michael Porter Jr., which For those of you guys that are familiar with me, you know how intensely difficult it is for me to put someone who's not an old man higher on the board than he finished the previous year. But Michael Porter Jr. was a poster child for what a medium to severe, not severe, that's not really fair, but like a medium COVID case can do even to a younger NBA player. Remember, he missed games early in the season, and then he came back, and he just wasn't himself. The date range game is a really fun way to sort of remember how this whole thing shook out. If you look at, uh, like, the first couple weeks, I guess, of the fantasy season, which I suppose isn't entirely fair, but if you look at, like, The pre-COVID Michael Porter Jr., he was actually number four. He was a first-round pick on a per-game basis before he got sick. And admittedly, it was only like two weeks into the season before all this stuff shook out. But in those two weeks, he was averaging about 20-7 and with three threes, a steal, one and a half blocks, 57% from the field, and 88, good lord, percent at the free throw line. I mean, he was just chewing people to pieces. And then he got sick, and I'm trying to remember precisely when he came back. Which I, you know, we could if we want to get real specific. We could certainly look that up. But if you look at like the mid-January to mid-February stretch, Michael Porter Jr. was number 86. That was 14 games. He averaged 12 and six, 44 percent from the field, 77 percent at the free throw line. Very clearly not himself. And if you'd like, and the, again, I'm picking these numbers somewhat arbitrarily, but I just remembered he came back and he was bad for like a month. And if you then take that stretch mid-February and run that to the end of the regular season, he was number 20 over those 43 ball games, as he round was certainly in the process of, or you could argue had already fully rounded into shape. And he pretty much rolled that way the rest of the year. You could set whatever weird time parameters you want in there, and he was pretty close to top 20. Doing actually relatively close to what he did that first week with fewer steals and blocks and a slightly lower free throw percent, which, listen, let's be clear here, the free throw percent could actually go back up again. This is a guy who is a a true knockdown high percentages guy, a hell of a scorer. And we don't know exactly what the steals and blocks are going to look like. I get the feeling that the, like, two and a half combined steals and blocks was probably a bit of a, you know, a small sample size, statistical anomaly kind of thing. And what we got late in the season was probably a bit more indicative of what he will actually be, which is closer to, like, one of each. If that, at the beginning of the year, all of it, he was, like, He was blocking crazy amounts of shots early in the season, and that did taper off a bit as you worked later in the year. Uh, Also of note, no Jamal Murray for most of, if not all, of the upcoming season. So he's going to have usage. He's going to get his rebounds. He's going to get his steals and blocks, whatever they may be. He's going to do it on extraordinarily high percentages. It feels like all he has to do is maintain, and he's a second-round pick, and... And this is sort of the funny thing that that maybe even gets lost a bit in the shuffle. Aside from his COVID stint, where he missed like three weeks, he really didn't miss any other ball games this year. That was pretty much it. And it's worth noting because this is a guy who sat out his first NBA season due to uh, an, an injury before it even began and then hadn't really had an opportunity to show whether or not his body could hold up to an NBA campaign. But this season, it very much did. And I know some of you listening are like, yeah, well, is this guy, a lot of jokes are happening out there about Michael Porter Jr. being anti-vax. We don't actually know what his ultimate situation turned out to be. Yes, that is a risk. If he is still of that stance, it's a guy that could get, a delta variant or whatever might be floating around uh, in January of next year and miss three weeks again, and then be bad for another three or four weeks even after coming back. That's a risk, but look, all of that happened this season, and despite all of that, which look I, like I would look at this year and call it one of the worst case scenarios for him, at least in terms of games missed and then what what facsimile of himself he was when he came back. And by totals, he was still number 25. So Michael Porter Jr. for me, at least right now, is very much in bucket number seven. But that could be adjusted based on where he's getting drafted. I don't know where he's going to get drafted. Michael Porter Jr. could end up going in the 20s, in which case we'll have to leave him here in bucket seven. Or maybe he goes like at 35, and maybe we move him down to bucket eight or even bucket nine As a guy, we take a tiny bit later, knowing we can build in a little bit of that upside. The next name on my list is Freddie Van Vliet, who uh, I think actually is remarkably similar, at least in terms of me not knowing where he's going to get drafted, to Michael Porter Jr. I also think that there's, for whatever reason, a little bit of a negative with Van Vliet, around his durability and that's fair I suppose he played just 52 out of 72 games this year which means that despite clicking at a top he was number 16 on a per game basis but when you miss 20 ball games you're going to get knocked down a peg so he was number 35 by totals and that's all well and good if you're in a games cap roto where you can fill in the other 20 ball games, but you're not going to catch me dead using a late second round pick on a guy that I'm worried is going to miss 20 ball games. So then I kind of wanted to look at this more from a narrative standpoint to say, well, do what do we think the Raptors want to be doing this year? I get the feeling that this is not a team. That wants to go into a traditional rebuild, so this isn't a team that's just going to be sitting him Van Vliet That is, on a regular basis. Okay, great. That eliminates the scheduled rest days, which there were actually a few of those late this season when Toronto realized they were cooked, just playing a whole season in Tampa. They never really had it. This is always a team that had really good home court advantage, and to then not have a home game, pretty crummy. Like I. Don't, I don't know what the fans of Tampa were doing, but I don't think that they were racing out to watch Raptors games this year in massive numbers. Still, still, we're talking about a guy that since he earned more of a starters level role, he's missed 18, 18, and then 20 games in each of the last three seasons. That's not good. It's not. It's actually sneaky one of the one of the least durable lines for a guy who doesn't really get dinged all that much for his durability now it's worth noting with Kyle Lowry gone and we don't know what the hell is going to go on with Goran Dragic this is basically Freddie Van Vliet's team to run now he's the main guard he's the guy who's going to be handling the basketball on most every offensive possession when he's on the floor. Yeah, they'll be running some stuff through Pascal Siakam. He'll be a guy that gets him out in the open court. Uh, Gary Trent is not an orchestrator. OG Ananobi is not an orchestrator. It's Van Vliet. So his usage is going to be absolutely colossal this coming season, which is saying something because he took almost 17 shots a game this last year. That's a number that will not go down and actually has a very slight chance of even going up unbelievable twist of fate here. We just need him to last through the season. His field goal percent is crap. His free throw percent is outstanding. His steals are among the best in the NBA, and his assists are going to go up from 6.3. Again, no Kyle Lowry. That means more passing from Verdi Van Vliet. So I, I would think assists probably creep into the sevens. I think his scoring probably gets up in over 20. He has the potential this coming season. And remember, we're talking about a guy who... uh already this past year was number 16 on a per-game basis. You force-feed him a little bit more usage, he could actually be an end-of-first-round guy. But we need him desperately to get near 70 games played. I I don't need it to be much higher than that. I get it. Toronto's going to play their starters 36 minutes a game, and those guys are going to get hurt and miss a week or two at a time. But I just can't have Van Fleet missing a week or two three or four different times during the season. I can't have him missing six weeks this year. I need him missing three. Three weeks. Four at the absolute most. Because then he blows away in ADP if he's really getting drafted in the mid to late 20s, where I would probably imagine is where he's ending up. So for now, again, as we're working our way through the board, we're going to put Van Vliet in bucket seven. With the option same with Michael Porter Jr, to maybe slide him down based on who's getting drafted where I think I think both of these guys might actually stay in bucket seven if either of them has the opportunity to fall. It's probably Porter Jr just because van Fleet I think everybody knows looking at van Fleet this is the guy that's going to be running Toronto, and he was already posting colossal numbers last year with Porter Jr there's this like uh, what changes for him he was number twenty Four, what did i say 24ish this last year maybe that's where he ends up going but that's pretty close to where we're at uh next guy on my board is one that i'm i'm kind of going back and forth a little bit on that's drew holiday he was number 20 this year but missed 13 ball games 18 four and six good defensive stats really nice field goal percent two three pointers a game does a lot of really good stuff on a bucks team that he ended up being like he was getting picked on a fair amount but his defense is is stellar here's why i'm hesitant on the drew holiday thing i don't know that i can move him a whole lot lower than this because we saw what he's capable of when he's getting wide open shots every single night i like the fact that he missed 13 ball games this year and they hadn't gone deep into the playoffs the following or the previous year anyway it does make me nervous. He finished number 23, by the way, this season by totals. Even like pretty close to his averages, actually, in in when you think about it from that perspective. Missing 13 games is not all that much more than the league mark, which was like 11 and a half missed games this year. So if he misses another 13 and you draft him wherever we've got him here, bucket seven, which is like around 23, basically where he finished last year. What we need is for him to not kind of take the regular season off. Here's why I'm not that nervous about Drew Holiday. He only played 32 minutes a game this year. Giannis, 33. Uh, if we want to try to figure out where the hell Chris Middleton ended up. Where are you, Chris? Oh, 33 also. So the Bucks had already dialed the regular season minutes down for their big-name guys. There isn't a whole lot lower they could go with this. On top of everything else, like every team went through their weird stuff this year. The Bucs didn't have a whole lot to prove regular season-wise anyway, so I think we already kind of got a chance to see what Milwaukee will do with their big guns when they're saving them for the postseason. The fear is that Drew Holiday is just tired. He went and he played in the Olympics and he was good there also. Is he just going to be kind of burnt out and do you see that in a suffering field goal percent which would drop him a half to a full round down the board so right now I have him at that mark but I'm actually going to put him in bucket eight because I think he's a guy that I'm just a little bit less excited about even where I have him on the board and as I'm looking at it right now I might just take him and shift him down a couple of spots I might just just plop him towards the back end of this small group. And maybe that keeps him in bucket seven. But for now, we're going to slot him in eight, and then we can come back to it later if we need to. The next player on my list is one that definitely does not need to go in bucket seven, and that's Yusuf Nurkic, who was horrendous this season. Between injury, emotional stuff, lack of conditioning, he was awful. He played 24 minutes a game and was number 104 on a per-game basis in nine category leagues. I mean, that is, think about, what if you drafted Yusuf at the end of the second round last year or this coming year, and you got a guy who couldn't even break the top 100 on a per-game basis, and then also missed almost exactly half the season? Soul-crushing. What in God's name could Dan possibly be thinking by putting Yusuf back in with this upper crowd? I'm glad you asked. It's basically what we already talked about when we discussed the Portland Trailblazers during our team-by-team analysis, which is that we didn't get to see Yusuf Nurkic at full strength until the playoffs. That was really the only time we saw Nurk playing the amount of minutes that they'll probably want to give to him during the regular season this year. And even that's debatable. Because pre-injury uh, two years ago, he played about 27 and a half minutes. That was a actually relatively healthy season. Pre-injury two seasons ago, I should say. So not this most recent one, but the one before that. He was logging uh, 31 minutes a game. 17 and a half points, 10 boards, 1.4 steals, 2 blocks. He looked like he was going to be the breakout monster of the, of the season. This season, he averaged 24 minutes a game, and in the postseason, 29 minutes a game. So there's actually additional room if required. But let's just take the postseason alone and see what that meant for Nurk. In the playoffs, he averaged 13 points, which is not very good for him, at least compared to the fact that, like, looking at, even the, this regular season, where he was only logging 24 minutes, he averaged 11.5 points. So that's a number that probably should have gone up more than it did. But two years back, two seasons back, when he was off to that hot start, he was averaging 17.5 points that year. But whatever. Forget it. Postseason this year, he had half a steal and 1.2 blocks. Steals will probably be higher than that if you look at his career marks. He's averaged about 1.4 per 36 And he hasn't been all that far from about two blocks per 36. So those are numbers that might actually be a little bit higher also. So this is a guy who we've seen it. When he's right, he's really something. Additionally, he shot 62% at the free throw line during the regular season this year. That was the lowest mark for him in about five years. That's just sort of not who he is anymore. He's probably not mid-80s that we saw in the bubble, but... You know, mid to high 70s is very reasonable and that's not going to hurt you. So this is a guy who really does have top 25 upside and if he's healthy coming into this season, which we have to assume he is because he looked better in the playoffs than he did at any point during the regular season and then with the off-season time to sort of rest and recuperate, he also didn't get as many shots per 36 during the playoffs as he usually gets in his 30 some odd minutes in the regular season. So I think we can safely assume this is a guy who's going to be targeting about 14, 15, 16 points a game. He'll have his 10 rebounds, a steal, 1.3, 1.4 blocks, great field goal percent, free throw percent that's not good but isn't really breaking you, and just generally dominating. But I don't think he needs to be in bucket seven either. Honestly, I don't even think he needs to be in bucket eight. But we're going to put him in bucket eight right now Mostly because I would be flabbergasted if this is a dude who got drafted anywhere near the second round. I've like Nurkic probably end of third at maybe the earliest after as bad as he looked last season. I I can, even though I bet most fantasy analysts are on the page with me on this one, which is to say this is a guy who's prime for a bounce back year, saying that is very different. Then comparing that to early yahoo adp numbers the public is is going to collectively drag Nurkic's adp down into the toilet he'll probably i mean we don't know for sure but i would bet he gets drafted in the 30s maybe later i don't think he gets drafted in the 20s even though i think he has a pretty good shot of finishing this season in the 20s safer roto pick than head-to-head because of injury stuff that's Unavoidable. We can't talk about Nurk without discussing the fact that the last two seasons he's played a total of forty-five ball games. Uh previous two years he missed ten and three, so there was a decent stretch blended in there for him. And he was a little bit more durable when he wasn't playing high twenties, low thirties in minutes. But I don't think that we can assume he's playing more than about seventy games this year. That feels like a high water mark. So someone I'd really look at in Roto before head to head, but still uh, someone who's prime for a bounce back year and i think we can probably get him later than where we've got him here on the board the only reason i haven't moved him into bucket nine is because i don't even know where bucket eight is gonna end yet so how the hell can i start a bucket nine i can't told you guys we're doing this together so for better or worse you're gonna be walking with me as we figure out where the hell everybody's going Next player on my list is Clint Capella, who I bet is going to go under-drafted again this year. This is one of those instances where a player does so well that it does impact their numbers. Their ADP is going to be better than the year before. Capella was getting drafted at like 65 this last year. He was one of the best draft picks in all of fantasy. When you talk about profit margin... Someone who was drafted near 65, which is basically expected to be ever so slightly better than a league average fantasy player. Someone who just sort of holds the boulder in place. Capella finished at number 21. 21! .32 of p-value. Better than the guy who's holding the boulder in place. That is a huge amount of area under the curve. Monstrous! So yeah. He's not Terry Rozier, but he is easily one of the best picks in fantasy this season. And you'd be right to think that he's going to get drafted earlier. He's not going to fall to 65 again this year. But do you really think he's going to get drafted where he finished this last season? He was number 23 by averages, and he was ever so slightly better than that by totals because he only missed nine ball games. But he's the anchor for that Atlanta defense. They need him out there, and he should just be able to replicate what he was doing this year. That's just who he is when he plays starters minutes. I don't think he gets better. I don't think he gets worth. I think he's one of the more easy players to handicap. And the only hope there is that he doesn't miss an additional four or five ball games. But even if he does, I still think he's getting drafted in the 30s somewhere and probably gets to that mark by totals if maybe even eclipses it if he goes into that second round per game territory again. So, this is another guy who I don't think has to go in bucket seven because of where I think he's probably going to end up getting drafted. Trey Young is going to go in bucket seven, and he's not going to make it this far. So, this is like there's no point really in handicapping this one. But I have Trey Young at number 26, and I actually think I could go lower than that. He, he has the ability to play through injury, which is good for him. He finished at 38 this year, largely because he did play in a game or two more than the league average number of basketball games. I think and by averages, he was like in the early 50s this year. I believe by averages, he's better this coming season. I think that you probably see an improvement in field goal percent, or at least I hope that's their slight improvement point for him or maybe turnovers come down ever so slightly, but he's not going to be that top 15 guy that we all were hoping for now that he actually gets help on his team. He doesn't need to take 22 shots a ballgame. He can take 17 or 18, and the Hawks are better off for it. I almost... Like, Trey Young at bucket seven is almost like a legacy ranking because I could very easily drop him another 10 slots on my board, and I wouldn't even care. I have no... I have no zero intention of drafting Trey Young this year in nine category formats of basically any shape or size because there's no way he gets to me in what is now effectively the third round. Trey Young's not going to get drafted in the third round. I don't care what format you're in. He's going to go earlier than that, and that's the earliest I would think about taking him. Sorry. But he goes in bucket seven because his ADP is going to be so damn early. Uh, next two, uh, four, next four players on my board are guys that are gonna take a really long time to talk about. But let's start the discussion. If we have to put a pin in it until Monday, then so be it. The next four guys are four durable, plodding monsters: Tobias Harris, Rashawn Holmes, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges. I don't think any of these guys needs to go in Bucket 7 because none of these guys have the hype needed to go in Bucket 7. It's looking more and more like Bucket 7 might just be Michael Porter Jr., Freddie Van Fleet, and Trey Young. That might be a three-player bucket. I don't think that these guys necessarily even need to go in Bucket 8, but we probably need to at least start them there before moving them somewhere else in our discussion point. This is why I want to talk about these guys and make them kind of their own segment of the show. And this will probably be the last thing that we break down on uh, today's episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Let's look at this last season by totals. Where did these guys end up? DeAndre Ayton finished at 19 this last year, playing in 69 out of 72 basketball games. Tobias Harris finished at number 22. By the way, Ayton finished in front of Clint Capella because of the extra games played. So another reason that we might want to kind of keep those guys somewhat pinned together. Tobias Harris finished right behind Clint Capella, playing in 62 ball games. I bet he plays in more. Yeah, definitely more than 62, but you know what I mean. Like, that would be roughly 72 this coming season. I think he probably plays in more than 72 games this year. But we know Tobias, great percentages, generally pretty damn durable. This was the ultimate in non-durable Tobias year. So I would assume he gets a little bit better. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, who kind of quietly missed a few more games than I think most of us actually wanted to acknowledge, he played in 61 out of 72. Missing 11 ball games isn't a big deal, but he did finish at number 30 by totals. And the last name in that quartet we were talking about uh, was Mikhail Bridges, who somehow I almost forgot, even though he's actually the first ranked player among those four guys. Mikhail was number 11 this last year. There is reason for slight pessimism on the DeAndre Ayton and Mikael Bridges front. That pessimism stemming from the fact that these dudes lost in the finals. So they will have a shorter offseason than a lot of other teams in the NBA. Also, there is pessimism on the note that the Suns probably don't feel like they need to prove stuff to anybody going into this coming season after making the finals. So the regular season is probably not quite as important. And maybe you don't see Mikhail Bridges play 33 minutes a game or Ayton. Play 31 minutes a ball game on the flip side bridges was just quietly really good all season long and didn't really have to change what he was doing based on like like energy level you know he was only taking nine shots a game to get to top 42 on a per game basis with hyper durability just because he's durable and then played all of their postseason games, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be hurt the following year. DeAndre Ayton was very durable and actually was better in the postseason for Phoenix and actually seemed to get better as the season went on. Remember, Ayton was a guy, and we just talked about this uh, when breaking down the mock draft from uh, middle of last week. Ayton was a guy who started the year at like top 75 for about a month and a half, and then he was inside the top 40 the rest of the way. So if you think these guys have anything resembling the durability that they had last year, meaning the two Phoenix Suns in this, this quartet we're talking about, then they should very easily make the rankings we gave them of 29 for Aiden and 30 for Mikael Bridges. They both beat those numbers last year. And yet, I'd be floored if either one of those guys got drafted in front of that spot. They're better head-to-head drafts than Roto because the durability thing was such a big part of the makeup. But if you're taking these guys in the third, fourth round or whatever the buckets end up telling us to do with them, getting a ton of games out of a guy who's actually pretty good is a really nice thing. It's not like getting a ton of games out of a top 115 fantasy player. We're talking about like a top 40 guy playing in all of his basketball games. That's huge for your team. Between these four players, I know that Bridges was actually the number one ranked guy. You have to think about it, I believe, in terms of who has the ability to put up the best per-game numbers among them. And that is probably, as weird as it feels to say, based on what we saw this season, that was actually Tobias Harris this year. Tobias was 28, Rashawn Holmes was 33, Bridges was 42, uh, Aiden was 44. Although, again, Aiton was more like 35 after his kind of slow start. Bridges was basically top 40 for the entire year, but it almost didn't fluctuate at all. Tobias Harris got off to a top 20 start. He slowed down a little bit as the season went on. Rashawn Holmes was kind of hovering in that 35 range pretty much the entire season as well. So from that angle, Tobias Harris is probably the guy you log first in this group on, a, on an actual final rank direction followed probably by Holmes, although you could make the argument that he and Aiton have almost the exact same outlook this year, and then Bridges is probably last in that group. But from a bucket standpoint, that's not necessarily the case because of those four guys, DeAndre Aiton is probably the one who gets drafted the soonest. So we'll go ahead and we'll put Aiton in bucket eight with some of those other guys we were talking about. Behind him, I would think the other three guys probably all end up in bucket nine. Uh eh, you know what? That's actually a lie. Mikael Bridges probably falls even farther. Tobias Harris is in bucket nine. Rashawn Holmes I'm going to put in bucket nine. I'm actually going to put Mikael Bridges in bucket nine right now as well. But with the asterisk that he's probably going to get shifted down when we kind of do our between show. And that's actually a really good way to do this, I think. As we're working our way through it, I'm realizing this is a really nice way to organize ourselves. I'm going to do this stuff live with you on air. But then between podcasts, I'm going to go through every player that we've bucketed to this point and uh, rearrange them. I'm going to rearrange them to make sure that they're in the right spot for where we're at so far. So like, this is probably where we're going to put a pin in things for for today. Let's say on Monday we come back, we do another 10 or 15 names. At the end of Monday, I may very well move Rashawn Holmes and Mikael Bridges down because we'll have more buckets to put them in. We don't have a 10th bucket to throw these guys in yet, and I don't want to put them in a 10th bucket right now because I don't know who else is going to be in that group, and I want to make sure that we cash in on the valuable available to us to this point. So what we'll do over the weekend, what I'll do over the weekend, and then I'll relay back to you guys, is I'm going to look at the first 30 players that we've organized so far, and I'm going to make sure that they're in the right buckets, and then I'm going to have to make sure that the final rank board reflects that to some degree, with the caveat, again, that the rank board is not the buckets. The buckets include a likelihood of public perception's impact on where those players get drafted. And that's where we're at right now. So today we put Michael Porter Jr., Freddie Van Fleet, Trey Young in bucket seven, Drew Holiday. Yusuf Nurkic, Clint Capella, and DeAndre Ayton in bucket eight. And Tobias Harris, Rashawn Holmes, and Mikhail Bridges in bucket number nine. Ten players, once again, into buckets. They slowly fill up. Small buckets, big buckets, buckets in between. It's like an Oscar Mayer wiener commercial. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. That'll wrap up our week here. 75 off-season shows in their own special bucket. That's right. Everything I do, I do with little containers path of least resistance over here uh again if you want to start a podcast or you've got one you want me to check out hit me up on twitter at dan best or email team hoopball at hoop dash ball dot com uh running a promo now if you guys want to make sure you get that 25 dollars odds boost bet in guess what i'll open the account for you i will make your first deposit and i will place that bet for you so now not only do you get the 25 free odds boost bucks i'll get you to that point How's that for a sweet promo? Hit me up on Twitter if you're interested in getting started over at MyBookie as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Back with you on Monday for show 76, and we'll finish up August next week. Holy hot damn. All right, later, everybody.